our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about so many things. There is so much that fills our thoughts, fills our hearts. But we thank you for these special times you give us to refocus on you and the things that matter. Help us, Father, not only with our words, but with our lives. Bring honor to your name. Help us this Christmas season to worship you, our Savior, and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. How many of you are planning to get together at least once, maybe twice, with members of your family, your extended family, maybe at your home, someone else's home, maybe you're traveling, maybe it's happening here in Rock Hill. How many of you are going to be part of a family get-together sometime? Maybe you already had it, but it's coming up. That's a big part of what most of us do. Monisa and I will spend Christmas Day in Lexington, South Carolina with our son Stephen and his wife Sarah, and then uh, the Sunday after Christmas I'll preach here that morning, then we drive to Kentucky to spend two or three days with our family up there and and look forward to that. That's just a, you know... Having lived here all these years and our family being in Kentucky, Christmas is, we're, we're used to being on the highway uh, quite often with our kids traveling on Christmas Day after they open gifts in our home. So we, we enjoy that. But what's really heartbreaking is how many families have strained relationships that make those kind of gatherings difficult. Because if... if there's conflict in your family throughout the year. It's difficult to have the kind of Christmas you really want to have. And maybe you get together and you try, but it's, you know, it's, everybody's on edge a little bit. Or maybe you're one of those families, it's just, it's out in the open and uh, you just have at it. A lot of drama. It's interesting to me how many Christmas movies have this as a theme in those movies. Now, one of my favorite movies is Christmas Vacation or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Every year at the beach on Thanksgiving, we eat turkey, walk on the beach, and then sometime that day or the next day, we will watch Christmas Vacation and kick off our Christmas celebration. And I know others do that, and there are so many scenes in that movie we could just repeat verbatim and all those famous statements, you know, and and it's, 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 it's just... It's a great movie. I, I can't help it. I really, I really like that movie. I laughed till I hurt. And it's interesting in that movie, you know, his character uh, uh, Clark Griswold gets the family together, wants to have this big family Christmas celebration, and so her, his wife's parents are there, and his parents are there, and and other relatives are there. And what really gets me is the two sets of parents. They're grouchy. They're just grouchy. They complain. You know, they're just negative about everything. And then Chevy Chase, you know, Clark Griswold, he's putting all these lights on the house, driving everybody crazy because he's going overboard, wants the perfect Christmas, and there's conflict throughout the movie. And and while that's a little bit uh, hyperbolic, it, it is illustrative of the fact that a lot of us, even at Christmas, out in the open or under the surface, there's strained relationships that are hurting us. Not long ago, a, a woman in Memphis, Tennessee, wrote a letter to a, a columnist who's also a TV personality. She gets letters from people and answers them, sort of like Dear Abby. And, and here's what the letter said. Dear Lucy, Christmas may be the time of joy, but it's also the time when family dinners and drama happen. 
even though I want to be forgiving and friendly with certain family members, I just can't see myself being around them pretending. But my mother would be hurt if I don't show up with my family. What can I do? Today we want to talk about what you can do. What you can do as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ when there's drama in your family at Christmas and throughout the year. Now, remember, you can't control other people, but you can have some control over yourself. I can only determine what I do, not what others do. And so today we're looking at what can we learn from Scripture as followers of Christ to lessen the drama in our family and maybe bless one another and strengthen those relationships that matter to us. So I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And a little bit of background information for the passage we're going to look at is in the New Testament era, engagement and marriage worked similar to today, but there were some differences. Today, when you're engaged, there's nothing legal about that. There's nothing binding about it. It's just two people saying to one another, yes, we're going to get married. Then you set the date and you have a wedding. But in that time, there's more to it. And engagement was a, was a legal event. You were betrothed to someone, and it was a legal event. It meant that legally you were already married. You just did not live together. You did not have intimate sexual relations. That happened only after the formal public wedding that would take place at a later date. But you were legally committed to one another. And the only way to end that engagement would be through a divorce, another legal event. And the way a divorce would happen is, let's say a man was divorcing his wife, was going to end the legal engagement with his wife. He would bring her to a public gathering place in their village, city, whatever, and give her a written certificate of divorce and publicly send her away. And it was a very humiliating experience because in that culture at that time, divorce was very taboo. So just keep that in mind when we look at the story of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, it tells us, that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, notice what it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now, that's really important. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And dropping down to verse 24, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, many of us have thought about it a little bit, but today I want us to focus on it. This episode makes very clear that there was some very real drama in the relationship between Mary and Joseph. There were some very real problems and challenges they had to face and deal with because here they are engaged, legally betrothed to each other, said, I, you know, yeah, I want to marry you, you want to marry me. We're committed. And it says Joseph is a righteous man. 
meaning that he was keeping the ordinances, the commandments, the teachings of, of the Old Testament Scripture. He was keeping himself pure. He was waiting until they were married to have intimate relationships with Mary. He knew that. He was a good man, a godly man, a righteous man, and all of a sudden the love of his life is pregnant. He knows it's not his child. How do you imagine he felt? And Mary comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, not only am I pregnant, but this child has been conceived in me by the Holy Spirit. And I can just picture Joseph saying, girl, you're crazy. What happened to the woman I fell in love with? What happened to you? You've gone bonkers. You're off your rocker. And so he's planning to divorce her. But because he's a righteous man, he's also a kind, gentle man. He doesn't want to disgrace her. So rather than doing it the way most people would do it publicly, so he could clear his own good name, he's going to send her away, divorce her quietly secretly because the tenderness in his heart that grows out of his righteous relationship with God causes him to want to be nice and not wound her any more than she's already wounded. Can you imagine what was going on in the neighborhood? Can you just hear all the neighbors talking? I knew they weren't waiting until they got married. Can't you, especially in that era? Or Joseph said to his friends and co-workers, hey, I'm pure, it's not mine. She cheated on you? Yeah. She cheated on you? Yeah. And all the God, can you imagine all the, all the busybodies, all, all the yak, 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 yak in the Sunday school classes? Oh, I meant synagogue. Hmm? The public humiliation, all they were dealing with. I mean, that's a very real circumstance. So much so that Joseph is planning to end the engagement and divorce Mary and get on with his life. Now, we know they overcame it. They got married. Jesus was born. But I think there's some lessons for us in how they dealt with the drama they faced that can help us know how, as disciples of Christ, we can deal with drama in our family life. And it applies to other relationships as well, relationships at church, at work, in the community, in social organizations, etc., some very important things we can learn from how they dealt with it. And, and the first thing I want you to notice this, and it's really simple. They listened to God and then did what God said. Real simple. They listened to God and then did or obeyed what God said. Now, Luke is the story from, from um, uh, Mary's perspective. Matthew is more from Joseph's perspective, if you will. And in Matthew's situation, or, or Joseph's situation, rather, He's planning to divorce his wife. He's going to be nice about it, but he's, he's, he's ending the marriage, and he's asleep, and he has this dream. During the dream, an angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is of God. The child is of God. Name him Jesus. He'll save people from their, from their sins. And so he heard from God. Now the next morning he wakes up and it says he obeyed what the angel of the Lord told him and he took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have to do that. He could have made a completely different decision. He could have, you know, got up the next morning and said, yeah, that's a dream. But, you know, I don't know if that's from God. Have you ever had a dream? Are all your dreams from God? 
Joseph could have got up and said, yeah, it sounds religious and spiritual and all that, but no, that's really not God talking to me. And he could have ignored it. He could have gotten up the next morning and said, you know, I really believe God was speaking to me last night in that dream. I really believe that was an angel that, uh, that appeared to me. But you know what? What he's asking me to do is really hard, and I, I, just, I just don't want to do it. I think that's the reason the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because even though he had heard from God, the gossip was still going to be there. And if he went ahead and married her, people would say, yeah, see, I told you. They were, they, yeah, they were sleeping around. They weren't waiting. And that would have hurt his heart and soul as a righteous man in that day and time. People would have said, you mean you went ahead and followed through with the wedding even though she cheated on you and, and you're going to be her husband while she's pregnant with another man's baby? wasn't an easy thing for Joseph to do. All that public scrutiny and gossip and pressure was still there. But he did it anyway. He got up, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary as his wife, and importantly kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. And named him Jesus just like the angel instructed. Now one of the lessons for us is this. In life, We've got to listen to God, then do what He says, even when it's not easy. Even when it's challenging and maybe a little bit embarrassing. Doing what God tells us is not always comfortable. Sometimes it requires us to get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it puts us in circumstances that, that are tough. We're not called as followers of Christ to obey Him only when it's easy. Only when everybody's cheering us on and say, yeah, you go, girl, you go, guy. That's the way. That's the thing. We're called to hear from him, listen to him, and obey him at all times in all circumstances. And so here's a takeaway for us. We need to give the Holy Spirit permission. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to use Scripture, people, and circumstances to reveal to us, to show us ways we can grow and change. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and apply it to the relationships that we're part of, apply it to the circumstances we encounter to teach us things about ourselves so we can continue growing. And that means changing because without change there is no growth. And sometimes God uses the unexpected and the difficult, whether it's our doing or not, our fault or not, sometimes God uses those if we allow the Holy Spirit to take Scripture and apply it to our hearts to teach us, to grow us, to develop us as disciples, as godly men and women followers of Jesus Christ. That's why I really like that verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Some of you are familiar with this where it says, The Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Notice it. Notice that. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge, notice this, judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and it's just like a knife cutting us, cuts deep, deep inside of us. We can be reading Scripture and praying and God speaks to the 
deepest recesses of our beings down to the joints and the marrow, the thoughts we have and the intentions of our very heart. God gets inside of us through His Word to reveal truth to us about ourselves, about our lives, about our needed growth, about whatever it is we're facing. And I really think if we're going to have long-term relationships with people in our family, and it applies to others, but especially with our, with our family, we, we have to keep growing as Christians and, and allowing God to teach us so that we keep becoming a better us. I become a better me. You become a better you. And that means I have to be willing to deal with those things in my life that I bring to the table in all my relationships. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to help us with that. And sometimes it can be a little bit painful. Four women who were really good friends decided to spend a week together on vacation. One of them named um, Karen. For some reason that week, one of her friends just kept getting on her nerves, bugged her to no end. By the end of the week, her friend was driving Karen crazy. And she was getting really, really angry. And so she prayed and, and she asked God to search her heart and show her why her friend was suddenly bothering her so much. A few days later, she was home and reading the Scripture and God gave her some insight into the problem. As she was reading the Bible, she realized that the things about her friend that had irritated her all week were the exact same things her husband had been saying about her. And God was magnifying those things in her friend's life so Karen could see them for herself in herself. And it was one of those ouch moments. Painful. But as followers of Christ, that's what we want. We want some of those painful moments. Now, I hope you have a lot more happier ones. But some painful moments like that, when God just reaches deep inside the, the core of our being and says, hey, let me show you something about you. Those are good moments because they are moments when we can grow when we can become more Christ-like, when the fruit of the Spirit can blossom in us more and more with each passing day. So those can be good things. So here's what I want to do. In, in the few moments we have left, just in shotgun fashion, I want to share with you seven Bible verses because I believe Bible truth, Scripture truth, teaches us how to live and be as Christians. And, and we're going to focus on seven verses that talk about our relationship. So take this idea that, okay, I want God to use the Scripture to speak to me about me and my role in these relationships because our family's getting together. I can't control what my brother does, sister does, my uncle does, my crazy cousin does. I can't control any of that stuff. But I can control me when I'm there. So let's take some Bible verses, apply them to ourselves with that basic idea that, all right, God, you're going to show me so that I can bring to the table when we gather as a family, not just at Christmas but throughout the year, Bring a better me so that I do my part to bless the family and make things better. Are you with me? You tracking with me? All right, so here's the first one. Treat members of your family the way you want them to treat you. So simple but so, so important. Luke 6, 31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Who said that? 
Jesus. Do you know who said that? Do you? Jesus, treat somebody the way you want that somebody to treat you. That goes with your family members. In other words, don't allow relatives and others to determine how you act, how you talk, how you feel, how you react. Jesus said, treat people the way you want them to treat you. Don't go tit for tat. Well, he said, well, she did. You know, have you ever watched little kids? Okay, they're fighting in the back seat of the car while you're going home for Christmas. He touched me. She's on my seat. She looked at me. Right? That's sometimes how we act with our family when we get together as adults. Tit for tat, tit for tat, tit for tat. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. Do not treat them the way they treat you. That's called love. That's called grace. Number two, be friendly. <laughs> be nice. First Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Sometimes we are nicer to strangers than we are to our family. And God says, be hospitable, be kind, be nice to your family and do it without complaining. You know, you give somebody a compliment followed by a but. Uh, you, 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 you know what I'm saying, don't you? Hmm? You do it, but then you mutter under your breath because you had to do it. He said, be nice and kind, be hospitable to those in your life and do it without complaining number three hold your tongue and don't take the bait don't take the bait Proverbs 15 1 a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger <laughs> you know that, that movie Christmas Vacation and Clark Griswold's going crazy putting those lights over the house and he can't get them to come on because he's not smart enough to, to turn the breaker on you know and he, he just, you know, and he kicks Santa in the sleigh. You all know the scene, right? And, and he finally he gets them all working, and the house lights up, and, you know, the meter and, and the sirens going off at the utility plant, and, you know, and all the family rushes out in the front lawn to see the beautiful display of lights, thousands and thousands of lights. And they're standing out there in the snow looking at the lights, and his father-in-law are. You remember what Art said? The little lights are not twinkling. Every time I watch that movie and Art says the little lights are not twinkling, I just want to go, pow! I just want to give him a you-know-what and a you-know-where. You've got an art in your life, don't you? Maybe you are Art. You remember how Clark Griswold responds? I know, Art. Thanks for noticing. I don't know that that's what I would have done. But Scripture, what does it say? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Who knew you could learn a biblical lesson from vacation, Christmas vacation? Who knew that, huh? I remember we were home in Kentucky. wasn't Christmas, another occasion. And me and my brother at his house got into this really heated discussion. 
Enough said. Over Obamacare. He liked it, I didn't. And it got bad. I mean bad. And his sweet, meek little wife, Teresa, sitting on the couch at the other end of the room for that 30 minutes of us shouting at each other, not saying a word. Well, she couldn't have gotten a word in anyways. It wouldn't have mattered. And after it was all over, I felt so lousy. And thought, you know, my relationship with my brother is a whole lot more important than my view or his view of any piece of legislature or political issue. And there are some of us who throw away relationships over stuff we shouldn't throw them away over. And and I want to say something to you. Now, Now hear me. Brothers and sisters, we are Christians We are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ before we are Republicans, Independents, or Democrats. And don't ever forget that. And your relationship with fellow believers and your relationship with members of your family matters more than any political position. So hold your tongue. Don't take the bait. So he and I are never going to discuss Obamacare again. Number four, overlook the small stuff and the personality quirks. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Say that word, patience. Come on. More enthusiastically because you need more. Say it again. One more time. Showing tolerance. Say tolerance. Now look at that verse again. With all humility and gentleness, gentleness, with patience, and toler- showing tolerance for one another in love, motivation, is love. The only way to do that is to allow Christ to grow in us love for the people in our lives. Don't allow the little things that don't matter to separate you from people in your family. And by the way, all of us have that nutty uncle. All of us have that cousin that sits somebody in our family. They're just weird. They were born weird. They will die weird. Their weirdness will be with them until Jesus resurrects them and gives them a perfect body. Until then, they're weird. Maybe you is the weird one. And having relationships means that sometimes you got to just overlook it, let it go. Okay? Show some patience and some tolerance. Quit trying to fix everybody in your family. They won't let you fix them anyway, so stop trying. Number five, go out of your way to show unexpected acts of kindness and love. Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Rather than allowing the impulses of your nature to dictate what you do, choose love by serving, by being kind. Who is it in your family that you can go out of your way for this Christmas to do something small that says to them, you matter. You are a person of value to God and to me. Do some act of kindness to someone you wouldn't normally do. Surprise them this year. Number six, apologize. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There are times when I'm wrong. 
There are times when we're both parties are wrong, but I'm still part in the wrong. And when I'm wrong, I need to say I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And don't do this, you know, modern way of apologizing because you're hurt. No, apologizing means I was wrong for saying that, doing that, not doing that. I was wrong and I apologize for my failure. That's a true apology. Confess and then pray for them. If we as believers spend as much time praying for the people that irritate us as we do complaining about them, the world might be a really different place. Pray for them so that why? You may be healed. Pray for people. Love them. And apologize when you're wrong. And then number seven, the last one, forgive. Hardest of all. But sometimes we have to forgive people. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should do. You have a complaint against anybody? Sure you do. Forgive. Why? Because God's forgiven you. Do, you. do you get the disconnect between us saying, I'm not going to forgive that person. I can't. I will never forgive that person. And then stand up and say, praise Jesus. He forgave me for all my sin. Do you get the disconnect? The motivation is this. Jesus forgave me. I am to forgive. Jesus forgave you. You are to forgive. No, not easy. But boy, it sure does bless. Not just the other person, but yourself. In 2011, the family was uh, cleaning out a house and going through all the possessions of their parents who had recently died. And in the back of the basement, they found a, a cardboard box covered with dust. They pulled it out, blew the dust off, opened it, 2011, and they found inside Christmas presents still wrapped from 1954. They knew it was from 1954 because of the tags, the label on them, who it was from, who it was to, and had the, had the year. And it was from some relatives to their parents who were now dead. 1954 unopened Christmas gifts in a box in the basement. And the son, the husband, now husband, said they, these must have been from the year of the falling out. They, they were gifts from members of the family that his wife had heard about but never met. And sometime between sending those gifts in 1954 and Christmas 1954, those relatives and his parents got into an argument, had a falling out, and eventually it got so bad the relationship was, was just totally severed and they lost all contact with one another. She asked, his, his wife asked him, what did they fight about? And he said, I have no idea. And you know what's, what's even stranger? 1954 is when this happened. Eleven years later, 1965, his parents moved to a new house and took the gifts unopened with them. Because that's the house they were going through in 2011. They opened the gifts. It was closed. For his parents and his older brother, because at that time he had not yet been born. 57 years of unopened Christmas presents. 
57 years of wasted family connection, 57 years of wasted love, of wasted time, of wasted life, 57 years of bitterness and brokenness, resentment, 57 years. Who do you need to treat differently this year? Who do you need to deal with differently this year? Who's that, who's that person that, that when you talk to them at Christmas, you need to let the sarcasm go and just be kind? Who's that person that pushes your button and, and this time you need to not go tit for tat? Don't take the bait. Who's that person you need to go out of your way and do something kind for unexpectedly? Who's that person you need to talk to and say, you know, when I did such and such or said such and such, I was wrong. I'm not making any excuses. I was wrong. Who's that person that you need to, well, you've got some anger in you and, and you need to, you need to forgive. Remember he said in Colossians, do this because Christ forgave us. That's our motivation. That there are people in your life who need Christ. They need His forgiveness. They need His love. And it's really difficult for us to have much influence in their life if we are not acting like Christ's followers in our relationship with them. There, there are people in your life, they're lost. They're going to hell, separated from Christ. They need Jesus. They need you praying for them. They need you sharing with them caring for them, inviting them to church, sharing your testimony, sharing the gospel. Some of you have been wondering about these blue bags. There's a little over 200 of these up here this morning um, left from the first service. got the church name and address and website on it. But inside there's two things. One is a, a box of candy canes. And the other is this card that has on one side the poem explaining the meaning of the candy cane, the blood of Christ, etc. And the other is an invite to the Christmas Eve service. What if you took this as a gift to someone and said, hey, here's a gift. And I'd love for you to come to Christmas Eve service with me. Maybe it's someone that uh, you need to reach out to because of some relationship issue. It could be totally different. It, it could be the fact you've got a co-worker, you have a co-worker, a neighbor, a relative, and you've got a good relationship with them. But they're not in church, they don't know Christ, or maybe they've walked away from the faith, walked away from the church, they're backslidden, and you just need to go and say, hey, I, one more time, maybe you've invited them before, but one more time you want to invite them to come and give them a gift, wish them a Merry Christmas, say I'd love for you to come with me. 
So when we sing our invitation song, I'm going to invite you to make your way up here to the altar and get one of these bags and take it to someone and, and just say, hey, there's a God who loves you and, and I want to give you this gift and, and invite you to come to church with me. Others of you need to get on your knees here and talk to God about your role in relationships with your family. Some of you need to join this church. Come and request membership. Some of you need to request believer's baptism. And then there are individuals in this room right now. You are that person who needs Jesus. You need His forgiveness. Because you recognize that, as Scripture says, you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. But Jesus died on that cross to to make forgiveness available to you. And you need to commit your life to Christ. You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. We want to talk with you about that. We want to help you as you pray and commit your life to Jesus and become a Christ follower. We have pastors and counselors ready to talk to you right now. So all over this room when we stand and sing, I'm going to ask you to make your way to the front and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ and become a Christian. I want to join this church. I want to be baptized. Or kneel here and pray about relationships, coming with these bags, and, and, and pray for the person you're going to take the bag to, the gift to, and, and the invite card to. So let's stand. I'm going to lead us in a quick prayer. And after praying, when I say amen, we start singing. You make your way to the front quickly. Just like Joseph, when the angel spoke, when the angel spoke, when he woke up, what did he do? He obeyed. As God has spoken to your heart today, to your mind, to your being, to your soul, listen to him and then do what he says. If God's prompting you, obey him. Father, All over this room, help us to do more than hear you. Help each of us. Help each of us, Lord, to find the courage in Christ to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing.